0: challenged with uh, dealing with and uh, feeding God's people during a pandemic. So before we jump right in, and there are a number of questions, if you are joining us live on Facebook, uh, you may uh, send questions or post questions uh, to the chat, and we'll do what we can to forward those over to uh, the panelists uh, to try to get through as much as we can in the time allotted. Uh, But for any questions that go unanswered on this evening, uh, we'll be sure and take a look at those, and we'll do what we can to uh, just post answers to uh, the live, uh, to Facebook, so that those uh, questions that aren't answered during the session this evening, uh, we'll take opportunity and try to get those answered uh, offline. So before we jump into the questions, if I ask that you all bow with me uh, in a word of prayer. Dear Kind and Gracious Father, we are humbly bowed before your throne on this evening. We're so thankful, dear Lord, that you have blessed us to see another beautiful day. As we come together, dear God, to uh, learn more about your holy and divine word. We pray that you will uh, touch the minds and the hearts of our panelists, that they will recall the things that uh, they have studied, that they will be prepared to share those things with those who are joining us in a way that all can understand and be with the hearts and the understanding of those who are joining us. Uh, that the questions that are asked and the engagement from those who are participating will be uh, both pure and just and that uh, any questions asked will be uh, to learn more about you, uh, dear Lord, and, Uh, all that you have to offer to those who diligently seek you. Forgive us of our sins, dear Father, and those things that we've done contrary to your will. We ask a special blessing on our land. Be with us as we are all dealing with this pandemic. Let us not lose faith. Let us continue to be strong, knowing that there's nothing that we're going through that is a surprise to you, nor anything that you are unable to take care of on our behalf. We love you and thank you for all that you do for us and ask that you'll continue to watch over us and bless us and keep us and allow for us to always know and understand that any good that we are, any good that we have, any good that we do is all because of you. It's in your son Jesus name we pray and give thanks. Let us all say amen. amen. Again we want to uh, quickly introduce uh, our, uh, our guests on this evening. Uh, first we have uh, Brother Willie Williams III from the North Colony Church of Christ in Colony, Texas where he's been laboring for uh, about 11 years so brother uh, william just wave your hand let them see who you are brother. yes sir we also have on our panel uh, brother amram joiner who is from the mlk church of christ in wharton texas where he served for a year so brother joiner give him a wave and let him see who you are so uh, i'm going to jump right in with some questions first of all again we want to thank you both for joining us on uh, this evening uh, and we have just a handful of questions uh, and what i will do as the facilitator is i will pose questions and I will identify which of our panelists we'd like to sort of start off. And uh, obviously, for the other panelists, you may chime in with uh, additional commentary if you wish. Uh, but I will try to direct questions to you, as well as take a look at the Facebook feed to see if there's anything for uh, you to uh, uh, to chime in on. So, uh, Brother Williams, I'm going to start with you, bro. All right, Brown. So first question. Yes, sir. Before we uh, get started, can you uh,
1: make clear to the panel that we've been given certain questions to answer or speak on so that. Our questions are geared towards the subjects in which we have already studied for, because I'd hate to get outside. Uh, Make sense?
0: Okay, Absolutely, that's fair. So let me, I will, uh, I'll frame up the questions that we are going to uh, ask. And as I mentioned, uh, as the brothers get into the answers of the questions, uh, there could be an opportunity or a need for us to uh, go a bit deeper while we don't intend to veer far from the questions that are posed. The reality is uh, every question in and of itself uh, could uh, end up uh, having a number of elements to it that uh, we don't want to limit you, the panelists, from being able to expound on uh, the question. We intentionally kept it relatively generic, but uh, which would allow for you to uh, enlighten uh, and enrich uh, the participant uh, as you deem appropriate. So uh, let me quickly run through the questions, high level, that will be posed to the panelists on this evening. Uh, And so this will give those of us uh, viewing uh, context for uh, the things that we will discuss this evening. The first is, Uh, really getting to who is the Church of Christ and how does one become a member? So we really wanted to allow the panelists to touch on the Church of Christ, who we are, uh, and how does one become a member? There are a number of uh, religious entities out in the world today, and uh, there is often confusion about uh, the difference between the Church of Christ and others. So we want to allow the panelists to speak on that this evening. The second question is uh, really getting the panelists' insight on suggestions on leading and feeding uh, a congregation through this current crisis that we're in. So, there are things that uh, as leaders, uh, as evangelists, a uh, perspective that they would have on things that uh, they can and should be doing. Also, there is the perspective of the members. You know, what uh, should we be encouraging members uh, to do uh, during this pandemic uh, as well? And the third and final question is getting into the topic of baptism. Uh, is baptism essential to salvation? Why or why not? Again, when we think about the Church of Christ and we think about some of the trends over the past several years there has uh, risen a debate to some extent about uh, the necessity of uh, baptism so we want to allow the panelists to speak on that this evening so again number 1 is just a general who is the church of christ who are who is the church and how does one become a member number 2 suggestions on leading and feeding a congregation through this current crisis both from a leader perspective as well as uh, from the members perspective and number 3 uh, speaking on the uh, on baptism and uh, is it essential? Uh, so again, if I can, uh, Brother Williams, ask you to uh, just lead us off talking about, uh, you know, who is the Church of Christ? Uh, and how does one become a member of this institution called the Church of Christ?
2: So I'm, I'm gonna put, uh, I'm gonna hopefully address this skeleton and then hopefully Brother Amram will put the meat on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I wanna start, start with the vision of God. And so uh, it doesn't matter what you see today. I think this is very important before we start. When we say, what is the church? Matter of fact, many times when we say the word church, people immediately look at a building. They immediately focus on an address. So I wanna make it very, very clear. The church is not an address. It's not an address and it's not a building. And so in order for us to get a proper understanding of what the Church of Christ is, you have to go back to the vision. Now all things begin at a vision. The Bible says without a vision, men perish. And so God did not do anything uh, without understanding and knowing exactly how he wanted it to operate. When God created man, he had a vision for man. Uh, When God created woman, he had a vision for woman. When God created the world, he had a vision of how it was supposed to operate. And when God built the church, uh, he had a vision for how it was going to operate. So I want to start in Isaiah chapter two. And Isaiah chapter two talks about the vision before it was manifested. So before anybody could ever see what church was, what is church, or go to a place, or whatever uh, the phrases that we use today, In Isaiah chapter 2, God gives his vision. And so whatever we talk about from this point forward has to fit the vision. If it doesn't fit the vision, then it's not the church of Christ. So what we're about to read in Isaiah chapter 2 is the church of Christ. And so, uh, like I said earlier, I'm going to hopefully uh, put a skeleton. And I know uh, Brother Amram will come in and add pieces to it in verse 2. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be prepared or established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And so it is in the vision of God that his house would be prepared, established, And he envisions all people flowing unto a house he prepared. Verse uh, three, and many people, I want to emphasize that, many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So what I also get from the vision of God is that not only will he have an exalted house that is prepared, but he also envisions many nations So one thing that I understand also about the Church of Christ, it is not just one nationality, it is not just Jew, but it's Jew and Gentile and all races. God envisioned when he he thought about the church that all nations would come to his house. Uh, Regardless of what the religious state is at this time, his vision, God's vision is, all nations are coming to my house. And in verse three, Many people shall go and say, come ye, let us go to the mountain, the house of the Lord. So there will be invitation. If you have this vision, even if you don't know what the church is and you don't know, uh, you've never seen or never been or, or whatever the case may be. If you just read the vision of God, there is a house of the Lord where many people come and they're inviting other people to come to the house. And the question is, what's happening in the house? The Bible says in verse 3, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his path. So there are two things that are going on in the house, according to the vision of Isaiah chapter 2. Number one, there is teaching that is going on, and that teaching does not come from man, and that teaching does not come from society, that teaching or nature, that teaching comes from God. So what's happening in the house that's exalted, that all nations are flowing to it, is that people are being taught the lessons and law of God. The second thing that's happening in the house is that the Bible says, and we will walk in his paths. Not only are they being taught, but their behavior is changing. They're being taught and they're walking with God. Their lifestyle is changing. Uh, their, their, Their decisions are changing. And so this is the vision that we get uh, from Isaiah chapter two. There are, there are many other scriptures that I can go to uh, as far as Old Testament that points to what the church looks like. But, but that is the church of God, uh, the church of Christ in the eyes of God as he's given his vision uh, in Isaiah chapter two. I wanna fast forward uh, and now go to uh, the New Testament. If you turn, um, for those who are following, when turn turn to Romans chapter 12, Uh, And in Romans chapter 12, I want to look at verse 4. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, the Bible lets us know, for as we have many members in one body, I can literally take Romans chapter 12, verse 4, and I can lay it on Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And I can see the same verbiage, same language. So I am I'm secure that we're talking about the same institution. In Isaiah, it talks about a house. Hebrews also talks about a house, but also in Romans, it also talks about a body. And it says many members, uses the same language as Isaiah, many members in one body. We understand, according to Ephesians chapter one, verses uh, 20 uh, and 21 and 22, uh, that uh, the body uh, uh, refers to as the church. and The church uh, also refers to as the body. So we understand and we should understand that the body and the church is used interchangeably. So as I read this in Romans chapter 12, verse four, there are a lot of members. So when we talk about what is the church of Christ, the church of Christ is not a it, it's people. It's an organism. And all of the people are in one place. That's one thing we also understand. So the church of Christ has many members in one spiritual place. And the Bible lets us know, um, at the end of verse four, and all members have not uh, uh, the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. The Bible lets us know that the church of Christ is also connected. So these uh, these are not people that are in the house or in the body that have no connection the Bible lets us know uh that they are members one of another, so we are bound together. so the Church of Christ is an institution prepared by God, and it has been and it is a house that that houses many people that number one are taught are taught the doctrine of God, and number two. Live according to the doctrine of God. So if anyone does not adhere, notice I'm not talking about a building. If anyone does not adhere to the teachings of Jesus Christ and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, and you're not abiding with the other members that follow that teaching, that's not the church. I wanna say that again. Anybody that does not and have not been taught the teachings of Jesus Christ and anyone that does not walk and abide in the teachings of Christ and, and also do not abide in the same spiritual place as the other members, that's not the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ is the body of Christ with many members all being taught the teachings of Jesus Christ and walking in his ways? The last point, and I'll pass it on, and I know he'll add others to it. So I wanna, this is an alley hoop for those of you who watch it. If you don't know, this is an alley hoop. Uh, and for those of you who may be watching, there are many other scriptures and ways that we can actually come at this, but I, hopefully, I wanted to set that foundation. Uh, the second part of that question was what constitutes a member, uh, constitutes a person to be a member uh, of the Church of Christ? And so I want to state this real quick, uh, quick and I'll pass this on. Um, I want to look at Matthew chapter 26. And in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is at the Last Supper. And as he's sitting with his disciples, um, there is something that I want to emphasize uh, at the last supper that Jesus brings up uh, that I believe will help us to understand the second part of this question. Uh, the Bible lets us know in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he uh, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, uh, Drink you all of it. The emphasis that I want to focus on is verse 28. For this is my blood of the New Testament. I wanna I want to emphasize the word testament. The word testament can also be uh uh explained or broken down as contract, uh, it's also explained as covenant, it's a legal binding uh document, and so as Jesus is at the Last Supper. And as he's communing with them, he's letting them know that this is a contract. Mm. He's letting them know that this is a covenant. It's binding. Now, in order to get in a covenant, if you think legally, in order to get in a covenant, both parties have to agree. And so as Jesus is establishing his church, he's letting them uh, letting them know uh, that his time is near. He has to suffer with them and he lets them know and he, he, he brings the cup and he says this in verse 20. This is the blood of the New Testament, which is shared for many for the removal of sin. And so uh, they, in order to participate in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you have to sign the contract. And the contract, there's blood in it uh i wanna I wanna reference uh Revelation chapter one and verse five. The Bible says Jesus has washed us in his own blood uh if you look at Romans chapter six uh in order to become a member of the Church of Christ, one would have to come in contact with the blood so i I wanna set that up so Here's, here's, a, here's a different way to ask somebody if they're a member of the Church of Christ. Have you come in contact with the blood? Because that's the contract. That's the covenant. That's the testament. Matter of fact, when you look at your Bible and it's divided, there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. That new covenant has blood in it. That contract has blood in it. The reason why we don't follow the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time, because they are two different contracts that you cannot operate at the same time. And so the New Testament is a new contract that is sealed with blood. And in order for you to participate in the house with many members with this teaching and walking with God, is you have to come in contact with the blood. Now, at what point did you come in contact with the blood? Now, here's something very clear. And then uh, Brother Amarons from the donkey. You cannot come in contact with the blood by prayer. You cannot come, into the contact, uh, co- uh, come in contact with the blood by giving. You cannot come in contact with the blood by singing. You cannot come in contact with the blood by hear, hearing the gospel. If you hear the gospel and you're sitting in your seat or you're sitting at home or you're sitting in a pew and you hear the gospel, you do not come in contact with the blood. You do not come in contact with the blood by doing good acts and deeds in your community. You come in contact with the blood by the full obedience of the gospel, and we'll get to baptism and all that later, but uh, that's in baptism. Outside of that, what you have is you have an unsigned contract of heaven. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to give you heaven, and God does not want to make you a part of his church. It's just unsigned. The only way that it's signed is if you come in contact with the blood and that's through the obedience of baptism and, and the full obedience of obeying the gospel, including baptism. So I'll pass that. Pass that
0: All right, my brother, this, so Brother Joyner, he said this was a, an alley-oop. He must have tossed it from slam, half court, right? It's a, a slam dunk. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but he did a beautiful job, I, you know, just kind of piggybacking off what he said in terms of the church of Christ uh, is a people. In the book of Ephesians, and I want to deal with the phrase, uh, the church of Christ is a group of people. It's a called out uh, group of people. In the book of Ephesians, uh, the apostle Paul was writing to the saints there and in chapters one through three, he points out all the spiritual blessings that believers in Christ have. Then in chapters four, five, and six, at least four, five, six, one through nine, he tells them in, in order to show appreciation but those blessings outlined in chapters one, two, and three, they are to walk worthy. However, what you're interested in in chapter one, verse three, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now, that word blessed is a very interesting word because it's twofold in meaning. Number one, it means one who is inherently worthy of praise. This word blessed is mentioned seven times in the New Testament in reference to God and God only. And here's why because Whenever it's referenced or when it's referenced, it suggests that uh, one who is inherently worthy of praise. In other words, if God did nothing for us, right? If God sent us all to hell tomorrow, still God is worthy to be praised. But on top of that, it also means to, 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 to endow one with the ability to be successful. Kind of like in Genesis chapter one, when God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. I gave them the ability to produce more. So in chapter one, Paul is simply saying that this group of people that in terms of this Christian race, God blessed us, God blessed Christians with the things that we need to be successful in this race. Remember, the church of Christ is a group of people. Watch what he does. In chapter one, beginning at verse four through verse 14, he lays out all the spiritual blessings that those who are members of the body of Christ, the church of Christ, inherit those that we possess because we are a part of. body of Christ. Again, we're talking about the church is a group of people. So, he says God chose us, God predestinated us, God redeemed us, we have forgiveness of sins, we have wisdom, we have prudence, and we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But back at verse uh, number four, he said God chose us. So not only is the church a group of people, but watch this, the word chose, it's called, in in, in Greek it's called, the beneficial middle in which the subject does something for his own benefit. Let me say it again, it's called the beneficial middle, in which the subject does something for his own benefit. In other words, God chose us. God chose Christians, God chose the church so that we can do something for his benefit. God uh, is is in business. And because God is in business, the Church of Christ needs to be in business. Let me explain that. Not only are we our people, but we're in business. And here's our business. Our business is to turn around and praise God. He chose us for this benefit so that we in turn praise and worship his holy name. So who are the Church of Christ? We're a group of people who believe that we're in the business of praising and worshiping our God because he chose us for his benefit and for his purpose.
0: Thank you, brothers, very much for, uh, uh, for helping uh, clarify and helping share uh, insight uh, for those who are uh, members of the body. It is always good for us to be reminded and refreshed. I'll see you, Brother Williams. I'll get to you before we move on. Uh, and also for those who are not members to understand a little more clearly about uh, who the church is and the distinction uh, that this, we're not talking about a building, brick and mortar, but we're talking about individuals who have uh, been baptized and who uh, follow uh, the tenets of Uh, the new covenant that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood, very important to uh, distinguish for uh, our listeners. Uh, Brother Williams, you had something you wanted to add? I had had something
2: that was sparked in my mind. Um, And just in case anybody was wondering, sometimes people bring up the conversation of what about other denominations? So I I just want to be, I just want to touch on that just shortly. You cannot have a Bible study over denominations. That's not a Bible study. If you ask me about denominations, I'm going to close my Bible because the Bible does not discuss other bodies. The Bible does not discuss other institutions. The Bible does not discuss uh, other affiliations to his body. The Bible lets us know that there is only one body, as we've emphasized. And so uh, when you ask what the Church of Christ is, uh, we are not a divided group of individuals all worshiping the same God. There is only one house. There's only one house. And that house has Christ's teaching in it. And the people follow those teachings. That's uh, There are some people who want to make it a little bit more complicated or whatever. That's purely what the Church of Christ is. I don't care where part of the country you go to, I don't care what race or culture you walk into. I don't, I don't even care what building they're in. The, the, the determination if somebody is in the church of Christ is the teachings and are they following them. If the teachings and the walking does not align with the word of God, I don't care what they call themselves. That's not the church. So I just wanted to drop that as well.
0: Much appreciated, much appreciated, brothers. And uh, it's really a good segue into the second question that's really getting into, and we'll, we'll talk about baptism next. We're still going to get into uh, how to uh, help strengthen uh, the body during a pandemic. Uh, but let's, let's go ahead and transition to baptism now. As was mentioned uh, by both of our panelists, uh, there is often uh, confusion in the world today, uh, you know, not only about the Church of Christ, but uh, we've seen uh, an increasing um, uh, you know, uh, debate, uh, about baptism and whether or not it is, uh, essential. So I'll start with you, brother Joyner, this time, uh, to right. just give us uh, some thoughts on, uh, you know, baptism. Is it essential for salvation? Why or why not? And, uh, brother Williams, I'll have you come in behind him as he, you gave him an alley-oop the first question. So he's going to, uh, put some, some frame up and he's going to, uh, prepare it, uh, for you, uh, in retrospect, so we look forward to, uh, to both comments. Brother Joyner. Just to start us, I believe that baptism is essential
1: to salvation. However, before we deal with the essentiality of it, I want to look at the importance of it. I think we can really see this uh, in the grammar. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Repent is third person plural. You all repent. Whereas be baptized is third person singular. Let every one of you be baptized. Now, why is there such a switch? Again, repent is third person plural saying, you all repent. But then we get to baptism. Says, he says, let every one of you be baptized. Third person uh, singular. Here's what I believe that Peter uh, is trying to do is, whereas uh, and, and, and let every one of you is, 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 is casting the net abroad. He's speaking to the whole multitude that he's speaking in the third person plural. But then he comes back to narrow it down to make sure nobody misses the point. And let every one of you be baptized. Let me read uh, what I have in my notes because that' going sound much better than me trying to just speak from the top of my uh, head. Okay, So I'm going to read uh, what I had in my note. Uh, here it comes. All right. Repent is third person plural. You all repent. Whereas being baptized is third person singular that every individual or every one of you be baptized. It, it is as if repent is referring to the whole multitude, but being baptized referring to every individual that makes up the multitude, hope oh, that makes sense. So it's kinda like he's switching back and forth to make sure he catches everybody so nobody is left. In other words, let every one of you repent, but that, well, let all of you repent, but let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. Now, when you go back to that deconstruction, construction, now this is a little, this is a little tedious, but I'm gonna try to put it as uh, plain as possible. The, the great confusion in the church when it comes to uh, baptism and is it an essential to salvation? It goes back to two main arguments. There's a construction uh, in the Greek language that can be read uh, many ways. It's ace plus the accuser. That's kind of, I know that's kind of. I hate to be so. Uh, uh, with what I'm looking for. I'm trying to make it palatable. That's a construction. It's ace plus the accusative. And usually when we look at Greek grammar, that particular construction can be translated many ways. But the two major arguments is this. Is it purpose or is it false? In other words, am I being baptized uh, for the remission of sins? I'm being baptized because my sins have already been forgiven. That's the two major arguments that we find in terms of whether or not baptism is essential to salvation or not. Let me give you uh, some examples uh, from the English. It's like saying, uh, I could say to to you, uh, take your driver's license exam for the purpose of being able to drive legally. Or I can say, take the driver's license exam because you've already been allowed to drive and you're not illegal, make sense? So one is arguing for purpose, and the other is arguing for cause. Or cause. So I believe that Peter is suggesting that we ought to be repent and be baptized for the remission of my sins. And here's my argument. He says, repent and be baptized. Those two verbs go together. And if you, you can't separate repent from baptism. Now the argument is, Do am I being baptized for the remission of sins or because my sins are forgiven? If I say I'm being baptized because my sins have been forgiven, I must also say that I'm repenting because, guess what? I'm repenting because I've already been forgiven. And I don't believe no theologian, no preacher would say that uh, you ought to repent because your sins have already been forgiven. And if I say that, hey, you cannot get remission of sins, right? unless you repent and be baptized on the same token, I have to say the same thing. Let me make it simple as possible, I'll try to. Here's what I'm saying. If I say to you, Brother Brown, Brother Brown, you need to repent because your sins have already been forgiven. That makes no sense. I'm, pre- I'm basically saying that you, you're still doing the same thing, but your sins have been forgiven. It makes no sense. Repent and baptize come together in Acts chapter two and verse 38. So I repent, and I'm being baptized for the remission of my sins. You can't separate, repent from baptism.
0: All right. God bless you, brother. Brother Williams.
2: I hope that was clear. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to I add to that, uh, as he dealt with Acts chapter 2, to take that. And then I want to I almost put that in, into three questions. And the question we're trying to answer is, is is baptism a matter of salvation? Is it important? Do you need it to be saved? I wanna go back to what we referenced. Prayer does not uh, remove the body of sin uh, for an unbeliever. And so if I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you do not encourage someone to pray, you do not encourage someone to give, i go to worship, i hear a sermon, you do not encourage someone to sing, none of that removes sin. So I wanna be very clear what removes sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is what removes sin. So if you do not come in contact with the blood, I don't care what you do, your sins have remained. So the question that we come back to is, when did you come in contact with the blood? So the first question is, What is sin? What is sin? Sin is a transgression against God's law. So if you offend God, if you hurt God by disobeying his commandments, any of his commandments, that's sin. It is a violation against God's law. So if I do something that you don't like, that doesn't mean that I've sinned. But if I do something against God's law, I've sinned because God is the standard. Now that we understand what sin is, sin is not that I just did something to somebody else. Sin is specific. I did something against God's teaching. I did. Get, so we go back to the what the Church of Christ, the Church of Christ has the teaching of Jesus Christ in it and those who follow it. Anybody who's not following the teachings of Jesus Christ has already sinned. Now, with that What is the cost of sin? And and I think this is extremely important. What is the cost? So for instance, if I take a rock and I throw it through your window, in order for for things to go back to how they were, you would tell me the cost of your window. Now, if I don't pay for the window, we would still be at odds. If I take your phone and I smash your phone because I was angry, and I come to you and I apologize, that's not repentance, that doesn't, that doesn't fix it. You would tell me, in order for us to be in good standing, the cost of my phone is $1,000. If I dent your car, you would say, hey, listen, I understand you're remorseful, but the cost of damaging this vehicle is $1,500. What's the cost of sin? The Bible lets us know in Romans chapter six uh, in verse 23. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. So I want this to be very clear. The cost of one sin, death. You deserve to die if you commit one sin. That's it. I'm not talking about all your sins. Take just one of them. Just take the lie, you know, Just take uh the the candy or you stole, or, or let's, let's, whatever you've done. Just take one of your sins. The cost of one of them to God, according to his currency, is that you owe him your life, which means death to you. It's death. Now, the 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 last question to answer uh, uh that I want to use to answer this question is okay if sin is a violation against god's teaching and if i've sinned, in order to pay that one sin off is death the question is what's the currency what's the payment what does it cost to pay sin and so uh the bible lets us know in romans chapter 6 and verse 3 uh, matter of fact, let's begin in verse two. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? The Bible lets us know in John three sixteen, the gospel so of the world that He gave His only begotten Son in place of us. So the Bible lets us know what baptism does. You can match John three sixteen with Romans chapter six that Jesus gave his life, he was given for us to die for us. And the Bible lets us know that when you get baptized, you get baptized into his death. Verse four, therefore we are buried with him uh, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead of the glory, even so we should walk in the newness of life. And so the Bible lets us know that new life comes through baptism. I don't know another way to get new life. You can you can attend a thousand worship services and hear the best preaching all over the world. You can sing with the angels. You can you can give food all over the world, you can give the clothes off your back. But until you get baptized into Jesus Christ, that's where the blood is. It is in baptism. I want to close with this in Acts chapter 22. The Apostle Paul is giving his baptism uh, um, account of what happened to him when he got baptized. And so in Acts chapter 22, he's giving this account. And this is the thing that was told to him. Jesus personally got him a Bible teacher. His name was Ananias. Jesus told Ananias, teach Paul what he needs to do. And this is what Ananias, I need to be very clear. Ananias was handpicked by Jesus Christ to teach Paul what he needed to do. The Bible lets us know in verse 16 of chapter 22, Ananias is speaking and he says, Now why tarriest thou, arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. I don't know another way for your sins to be removed. You can't, you can't give them away, sing them away, dance them away. You can't. He says, what are you waiting for? There may be some of you out here right now. What are you waiting for? Arise. Be baptized. But notice what he says. And wash away your sins. Matter of fact, I'll just repeat Jesus Christ in Mark sixteen sixteen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved." Now either Jesus was lying or he was telling the truth. Mark 16, 16, either Jesus is lying or he's telling the truth. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I believe Jesus was telling the truth. And so uh, salvation is what Jesus connected with baptism. He connected it with baptism. And I just believe if you do what Jesus the, uh, says to do you'll get a Jesus result do something else if you want and you can do something else with full confidence you just won't get a Jesus result
0: God bless you we had one comment uh, before we transition to uh, the final question uh, we have one comment uh, or question uh, that without remission of sins how can you be one with God without remission of sin how can you be one with God Would either of you want to uh, share or address that question? Brother Williams.
2: (laughs) If your sins are not removed, sin is what separated us from God. So the contract is based on blood. When we take communion, every Sunday when we take communion, we're reminding ourselves of the contract and so the purpose of the cup is not just to wash the bread down the cup reflects the contract so the contract notice what jesus says that my blood was shed for the removal of sins revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says we are washed in his own blood by Jesus Christ. The Bible lets us know in Romans chapter 6 that the first time you meet Jesus Christ is in baptism. It's the first time you are spiritually connected to Jesus Christ. It is in baptism. It is not the hearing of the gospel, it is in the obedience of the gospel that you first come in contact with Jesus Christ. So the Bible lets us know that when you get in water, that is not the water that removes sin, but when you get in water, Jesus meets you there. And in his own blood, he washes you clean. With that being stated, without you being washed clean, there is no connection and oneness with God. So to answer, to, oh, sorry. Yeah. So to answer your question, no, you you cannot have union unless you have come in contact with Jesus Christ. And
1: take it back on what you said in the book of Romans. Chapter 3, verses 23 through uh, 25, the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by faith, by his grace rather, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare the righteousness for the remission of all our sins. That was the whole point of Jesus coming to die, so that through his blood he can forgive sins and to reach that blood one is baptized in water for the remission of his or her sins. So again, if you do not meet the blood of Jesus, you can never become one with Christ because outside, remember, even pointing back to the Old Testament, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, when God, the reason why God spared Israel is when God looked down over the covenant, he didn't see the sins of the people. He saw the law, which was on top of the sins of the people, for lack of better words. When Jesus, when God looks down upon Brother Jonah, he doesn't see Amram, he sees the blood. And because he sees the blood, he can stand me. Make sense?
0: Amen. Appreciate it, brothers. We are uh, going to pivot now to uh, the final question over the last uh, eight or nine minutes. So as uh, we're all very much aware, uh, we, our nation, our world has been uh, in the grasp of uh, this coronavirus and all that it has uh, challenged us as. Spiritual folk to uh, to deal with and to uh, assess how we continue to do the things that God has called us to do in spite of the challenges that we face. So I'll ask uh, and I'll start with you, Brother Williams, on this one. Uh, we really wanted to uh, get your uh, insight on uh, you know suggestions uh, on leading and feeding a congregation through uh, this current crisis. Right, we can look at it through the lens of uh, an evangelist or or a leader in the church, an elder. Uh, well, we could also look at it through the lens of members. You know, what, what can and should leaders uh, be doing? Uh, what uh, can and should members uh, be doing to uh, ensure that uh, God's people are being led and that they're being fed uh, during uh, this current crisis? Brother Williams.
2: I'll, I'll mention three things um, through this season. Um, number one, I would, I would mention wolves. Um, I'll put it on the category of wolves. Uh, In Acts chapter 20 and verse 29, Paul talks about it. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus talks about wolves. Um, That when you're going through a pandemic and when you're going through something that has, um, you know, and there are people who have gone through pandemics uh, in their personal life last year, two years ago. You know, so you can go through something that completely just unravels your life. You, um, you know, we use the word pandemic as in, in reference to everybody's going through it. But sometimes you can go through your own personal pandemic. So that's the way that I'm approaching the question is that one thing that you have to be aware of is that sometimes you will, ha- you will have things that happen into your life that completely unravel you. And it's outside of your control. And there are a lot of people today that are dealing with depression, sadness. Their plans have been changed. Uh, that can not only happen in 2020, it, it can happen in any year where something you were trying to do and then everything seemed like it just got shut down and all of your plans and your whole life has just been turned upside down. You have to be, a, 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 you have to be careful because wolves will come Wolves will enter into your life sometimes under the cloak of helping you to assisting you only to, um, to cause more destruction. So one of the, one of the things that's extremely important is when things are becoming unraveled, it's important for you to slow down and watch because that's probably the best time for Satan to attack. Something that was outside of your control, it may have been happening anyway, but it was, it's, it's the matter of fact, it's the best time for Satan to attack. For some people right now, they've lost their job. There are some people that have uh, had to move. There are some people that um, they, they are just finding themselves in very difficult situations. This is the best time for Satan to pour negativity into your spirit. Cause you to give up on God. There were some people that were already holding on to a thread and this happened, and so they've really fallen away from Christ. And now they're lost, there are some people right now that are completely lost and they don't know where to turn and they don't know what to do. And so if you're trying to lead somebody uh, through a crisis, one thing to be aware of is Satan is probably attacking them mentally, emotionally, and for some people, emotionally and mentally, they can't get up. If you're not aware of that, I can get online and speak an inspirational, hey, y'all, we're going to make it. But, but they, when you have mental issues, when you're, being, when you're being attacked in the spirit realm and you have demonic voices in your ear, that's dangerous. Uh, the second thing that I would say is nourishment thing. Uh, because you know, the Bible says give no space to the devil. So in a pandemic, you got to close up all of the cracks and crevices where the devil can creep in and have his way. Because while we're in quarantine, don't let Satan in the house because you're in quarantine. He will have his way. By the next morning, you're gone. So the second thing is nourishment. In Psalms chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3, the Bible says you will be like a tree planted. Well, well, who's the tree in, in, in verse 3 that's planted by uh, the rivers of water? water? Uh, it's the one who's meditating on the word day and night. Uh, in verse two, and so it's important that there is a, an even greater, as we should always at all times, but there should be e- an even greater emphasis on the word of God. Uh, there should be an even greater emphasis on nourishing, and encouraging, and teaching uh, in this season, uh, because if I if you don't give me the voice of God, I'm going to hear the voice of the world. And so, and then the last one is prayer. Um, in First John chapter 5, verse 14, the Bible says, Acts. <laughs> so uh, God still provides uh, manna in wilderness. He can still send food by ravens. God can still give you what he needs while he's still uh, doing whatever he needs to do for the world. Right now, God is in control. So if you're not in prayer, and I know one of the hardest thing to do right now and say, I'm just going to go to God in prayer. He's going to give me because, you know, I'm struggling. So I don't want to pray. There has to be an emphasis on closing the gap and not giving any space to the devil. you got to turn to a healthy spiritual diet. For a lot of preachers in this pandemic, it's dangerous because they're constantly online. They're constantly teaching, and you don't have a lot of people pouring into you. You don't have a lot of people sharing the word with you, and so it could be it could be dangerous when you're giving, 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 and you're not being fed. So not, it's not only imperative that the man of God gets poured into, but it's also imperative that the people get a healthy diet. And at this time, this is a time for prayer. God, have your way. And take care of your house while you're having your way. I think with that emphasis, that would be the same answer that I would give if somebody asked me a, a year ago, if a person's going through difficult times, what would they do? Guard your house, watch for wolves, get the, get a steady diet of the word. And you got to go to God in, prayer. in dark times and difficult times. If you don't, if you don't have a prayer life, it's hard to start a prayer life in the middle of a storm.
0: Amen. Brother Joyner.
1: Yes, sir. That's a very uh, powerful question. Again, how to lead and see the church through a crisis. You know, when you think about the word pandem- pandemic, I like what brother William say, you know, we've always People have always been going through pandemics, whether it's unemployment, as you can see, we're dealing with now, the uh, social injustice, police brutality, all those things that affect our lives. You know, when I think of the word pandemic, I'm thinking about something. I ain't talking about an unpaid light bill, right? Or you got in a car accident and your insurance went up, so you're just so frustrated. I'm talking about the day when the bottom falls out, when everything that could go wrong goes wrong and you find yourself all alone alone by yourself, and I think a lot of us, being that we're quarantining, it's so easy to find ourselves uh, in such situations, and when we find ourselves in such situations, sometimes in Psalm 77, we cry out to God. Uh, ASAP asks six questions, like, God, basically, where are you? And I think, uh, if we be honest with ourselves as Christians, there have been times, especially over the last few months, we've asked ourselves, God, where are you? And we can't ask that publicly because, to, to ask that publicly, is but to feel as if though somebody gonna judge you because you really question God. I know you exist. And I know you are alive. But are you active in this world considering all the things that's going on today? We're in a pandemic. And uh, having said that, I believe that when we find ourselves in a pandemic, and let me tell you this first. Someone has said the church is supposed to be the most happiest place in town. I believe the church is supposed to be the most vulnerable place in town where I can come and I can express myself in relation to this pandemic and really say how I feel. There have been times I've asked God, you see this pro- of a police brutality, we got a president who just tearing up this country. Where are you? Well, I know you exist. What are you doing? But watch this. When we find ourselves in a, in a pandemic, in a storm, something that's bigger than us, that's greater than us, we're going to respond one of three ways that teaches us this in Psalm 77. We either going to take it to God, take our emotions to God, deny our emotions or act it out on someone else. Let me say it again. we either going to take it to God, our emotions to God, which, which is what we should do, or we're going to deny emotions or act it out on someone else. There are so many Christians, even before the pandemic, who, 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 who would come to church on Sundays, on the lenses, but they was always unhappy, never excited about life. That's because something happened. The bottom fell out at some point. God shook their tree and their heart was broken. It was in a pandemic. And rather than taking it to God, they either denied their feelings and now they're acting it out in the church. So it's important that we understand that uh, there are some things we have to do in order to deal with this pandemic in such a way to where we can lead our people through this crisis. And this is not just for me, but I think whether you are a minister, whether you're an elder, a deacon, or a child of God, all of us are struggling. I'll find ourselves struggling in the midst of the storm. Now, uh, here's what I want to say. Uh, As Asaph did, we should do do the same thing as he did in a time of crisis. Right? He did not deny his raw emotions. He did not deny how he felt. He talked to God openly and honestly. I believe, listen, God is truly worshiped when we are vulnerable and we express our feelings uh, with him. So and I'm closing. I'm not knowing how much time, as I can as I say, we're either going to take it to God we're going to now emotions or we're going to act that out. But here's what we can do. Here's what we can do. ASAP, give us a few points. I'm going to give you two and the lesson is yours. Now, there are, there's a Hebrew word and uh, Psalm chapter seventy-seven, verse two, and it means to become. The word is ceased in English, but it means to become numb, right? In other words, he was in a situation that was beyond him. You ever been uh, sitting down and your leg fall asleep, and you try to get up and fall? That's the idea. He's simply saying, "I'm rendered ineffectively. There's nothing I can do right now to fix my situation. I'm totally trusting and depending." upon God, and we all can say right now in this pandemic, health-wise, there's nothing we can do. Unemployment, there's nothing we can do. All police brutality, there's nothing we can do. We, are, we have been rendered ineffectively. effectively. But here's what we must remember. Two, when we find ourselves in such situations, we have to remember this, the decisions we make when such things happen and control us more than the condition we meet. Let me say it again. The decisions we make when such things happen control us more than the condition we meet. In the midst of this unrest in this nation, it is important that we make the right decision or decisions. Do not go to gasket. We look at a lot of protesters. It's gone from bad, went from good to bad to worse. What are you saying? I'm saying it's, we become emotionally charged in such a time as this. But remember to make the right decision because the decision you make will always be greater than the condition you meet. Number two, we have to learn how to, uh, to labor, la- label rather our experiences. Remember to label your experiences properly. ASAP ask six questions. And it's okay to ask those questions. God, where are you? But we cannot stay there. We can't live there. At some point, we've got to put ourselves out of that situation, and we must label our experience correctly. Unfortunately, most of the time, we fail to label it correctly while simultaneously training our minds to assume that God is no longer with us whenever we, it seems as if so the bottom has fallen out. And listen, as I close, as I close, it's important that we label our experiences properly because the quality of your life is controlled by the quality of your communication. Whatever we tell ourselves right now, God, you're not here, I don't see you, we label labeling our experience. And now we're setting a track record for ourselves every time something happens, God, where are you? And getting that affects the quality of our communication. My brother.
0: Much appreciated, uh, brothers. I, I will uh, just briefly, uh, you know, Start by thanking you both for coming and spending uh, your time uh, with us this evening, uh, as we deal with sort of the the Church of Christ, uh, who we are and who we are not. Uh, you all very clearly articulated uh, very well uh, that the church is not uh, brick and mortar; it is not a building uh, with numbers on it. It is uh, it's individuals who have committed themselves. First, they've come in contact with the Lord through His Word and through baptism, uh, and they are following. Uh, the tenets of uh, of his new covenant, uh, and then you also you know both talked about uh, baptism and how essential it is uh, for salvation. so for those who are questioning or challenging whether or not uh, baptism is essential, uh, you all very clearly laid out for us that it is absolutely essential, and even encourage those who may not be members of the body to uh, to further search as well as to uh, put themselves in contact with uh, the Lord through uh, baptism and coming in contact with him uh, through baptism. And last but not least, uh, you all shared with us some very practical things that we can consider as we go through you know, the pandemic of life. Today, it may be coronavirus, uh, but uh, we've all had uh, pandemic situations in our lives at some point or another well before uh, this thing called COVID-19 came along. And how does one uh, prepare and, and persist through a pandemic? Uh, it's through acknowledging that uh, that there's a pandemic there's something that's going on whether it's uh, turmoil in our lives whether it's uh, sickness in our land acknowledging that it is but more importantly uh, ensuring that we are uh, seeking uh, the counsel of the Lord and we are uh, allowing him to uh, do what he has done since time the beginning uh, this is nothing new to the Lord in the sense that it was a surprise or it's something that he's not quite sure how to deal with the Lord is still in control and for every child of God, to be reminded that we serve a God who is ever-present, who is all-powerful, and who uh, has no uh, issues dealing with the challenges, things that we find impossible. Uh, They are not impossible with the Lord. So being reminded as children of God that it is now that we should draw near to him uh, versus uh, curl up in a corner and wonder, uh, you know, woe is us, right? It is a time for children of God to just uh, be faithful. And that is, we know that that for some can seem cliche, uh, but the reality is, we are uh, taught to seek Him, uh, and we seek Him while we can, while it is uh, while it is day, because night comes when uh, when we can no longer do the things we need to do to seek the Lord. So, brothers, I appreciate your your time. I appreciate your uh, expertise on this evening, uh, and uh, as we continue our series, for those who are uh, tuning in online, uh, we will continue our conversation with a different set of questions and uh, two additional. Uh, distinguished guests on tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Central Time. So, uh, Brother Williams, Brother Joyner, again, want to thank you both for uh, taking time out of your evening to spend uh, with us at the Hollywood Street Church of Christ, but also with all those who are joining us uh, all over the country. God bless you both. Uh, May you continue to to bless you as you serve God's people in your respective uh, locations. So, to all online, we'd like to say uh, God bless and Good night. Until next
1: time. Good night, my brother.